You're welcome to another session on the Wellbeing for Mothers show, where we talk about all things motherhood, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, the realities of motherhood. And today we have an amazing guest. She is Denise Searle. She is a woman who is a natural mother, an adopted mother, and a foster mother. So that's all combined into one. But in addition to that, she's also a hypnotic life coach and a clinical hypnotherapist. What she does is to help women to improve and create their own means of passive income streams, build their dream future, and be empowered with the confidence that we all talk about on this show, which is every mom is a super mom, not because of the super things that she does, but because of the superpowers she possesses within. So please join me in welcoming our guest to the show. Welcome, Denise. Thank you. Welcome, Dr. Donny. <laughs> awesome. So, I mean, first of all, I'm so intrigued by what you do in so about being your your journey of motherhood. Are you able to share this with the audience? Yeah, of course. Where would you like me to start? <laughs> right at the beginning with the birth children, I imagine. Yes, please. So at this time, I've got two lovely birth children. My son is 37. And my daughter is 33. And something we didn't discuss earlier was when I, oh, in my early 50s, or late, I was 49 actually, and um, I suddenly became very ill. And I went to the doctors with a tummy ache and didn't come home for three weeks. <laughs> and during that time, <laughs> they um, removed half my colon and I was expected to get better. There was a big mass, which fortunately was not malignant. So I was expected to get better and I didn't get better. And I got worse and worse and worse. And I got to the point of believing I was just going to sit on the sofa and die because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't walk. I had no quality of life. And I was suffering symptoms of dementia. And I said to my husband, this was the worst day, what are we having for dinner, love? And he just went, you've just eaten it. I hadn't known that I'd eaten my dinner like five minutes before. And I just sat there and cried. And I thought, if I ever get out of this, I'm never going back into doing office work or retail work. I'm going to do something that helps somebody. And I did get over it. They found out that they'd removed the part of my body that processes, does a maximum process of B12. So I was very, very deficient in B12 and hence the symptoms of um, um, uh, Alzheimer's. Um, but I got over it. I was soon running marathons and half marathons again. And I just said to my husband, right, do you remember when my children were little, I said I wanted to, I was wanted to foster and you said, wait until they're grown up and older. I said, well, now they're grown up and older <laughs> because I was in foster care twice as a child which was for various reasons, nothing to do with my mum. My mum was very ill and she was a single mum by then. So I we ended up um, in foster care for a couple of times, six months at a time. And I, I remember that lady, Auntie Chalmer called her with such kindness. And I thought, wouldn't it be lovely to be able to do that again? And that's what we did. So in um, we were approved in early uh, 2011. And our daughter came to us in 20, uh, sorry, the June 2011. And we, a very challenging child, got a lot of mental health needs because she suffered such a traumatic childhood. Um, and that results in real um, a mental health disability, actually. She is disabled. She's coming up for 21 now and actually has opted to live in an assisted living care home because she cannot live on her own, all due to her trauma. But during that time, 
we were uh, all together and she was living with us. But we managed to care for her and, and make her feel safe again, which was very important for her. Um, and then, well, we decided to adopt her um, quite early on in the process, but it took seven years because her knees were so challenging. They had to put together the right care package for her. It took seven years and we finally got there. While I was thinking about that, I just had a, a, a sort of, oh, my word moment because I woke up one day and I thought, I'm 55 now. I'm hurtling towards my retirement. I've got absolutely no private pension savings. I've only got the state pension. And I suppose it must have been something in the news about people not being able to live on the private pension that triggered it. And I just went, oh, gosh, what am I going to do? Because the minute you stop fostering, you stop getting paid because it's self-employed. And we only had one spare bedroom, so I could not take on another child. And what am I going to do? So I'd been through looking at the different things of, of, of work I might be able to do at home, but it had to be something that could help someone. And I settled upon clinical hypnotherapy because I wanted to help adult survivors of child abuse. Um, I wanted to have my own time to do it because it had to fit around my daughter. Um, and she was very unpredictable, let's use that word. <laughs> I never knew. I couldn't say, right, I'm going to fit you in for three o'clock on Wednesday because... We might not be able to do that as we <laughs> So I, I did that um, and I loved it. Um, and then I did find it very difficult with her needs. And also I was working with clients with dealing with the effects of trauma and living with a young lady dealing with the effects of trauma. And I was that close to going down with secondary trauma. So I had to step back and that's when I took on the hypnotic life coaching. So. I realised after a while that when I had that, oh, my word moment, I'm heading for retirement on a state pension, how am I going to survive? Um, especially with a, being a with primary care, care now and parent of a, a disabled, young, mentally disabled young, young adult, as it was by the time, I just thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I, I found out there were so many people in the same boat as me, so many people in the same boat as me, so many women who had spent their, their lives giving to their children, to their partners. They did, let's call them more menial jobs because that's what all you can do to fit around your job. And even if you've got a really good professional career, when you've got children and you can't do it full-time, you are knocked down a post or two. You cannot hold down those big full-time jobs easily. Um, and so. I wanted. To, I started working with women, doing online courses to help them regain their identity. They're more than mum. They're more than Mrs. Somebody or someone's partner, someone's other half. And they're more than just Mrs. Jones who works in that section in the office. You know, <laughs> they are them. But you lose it all. You lose it all when you are, you know, as you mature through life and you're bringing up children. You have to give to your children. You've got to keep humans alive. So we do that willingly um and then there's our partners and we want to make sure our partners are happy as well um and and then our jobs we want to do the best we can because that has given us all the hopefully the extras although these days it's turned into the necessity <laughs> just to have a, a, a reasonably decent life it's not necessarily true anymore is it yeah. um so i wanted to give women back their identity and i want to give them the confidence to know that they could step into their own identity make their own money and as i said before i think it's so important for every woman 
that every woman, whether or not she she wants to leave, that's, that doesn't matter. Every woman should have the ability and the finances to be able to leave and live independently if the need ever arose. Mm. Because we tend to take on um, a supporting role in terms of like a caring role and we're not necessarily the primary earner. And when something Thing happens that might be you go I don't ever want to see you again we get in a divorce or it may just be that something happens to your partner you suddenly found that you are not in the place to be able to earn a decent living not many people want you especially if you as you get towards 50 you will find that hardly anyone wants you <laughs> um just some facts for you during the pandemic the redundancy uh, rate for 50 and above went up by 250 percent Oh, my word. That is <laughs> yeah. a huge sum. Yeah, it was larger for 18 to 22s, but they got back into work, whereas when they were over 50, they did. So that's just a little snippet. So suddenly I become really impassioned about helping women refine their identity, rediscover it, um, and and just give them back them, the essence of them, that person they were before they become mum, before they were subject to the daily grind of nine to five and realise that actually, you know, those dreams you have, they can still come true. If you decide you want them to, they can come true. So that's what I help women do. Oh, at the my. same time, I still will help the therapeutic people, but I, I tend to do that more word of mouth now. But I do still help people who need, uh, particularly adult survivors of child abuse or just anxiety uh, as a whole because there's so much of that at the moment but yeah my focus is mostly on helping groups of women to actually achieve and and really get that sense of self-worth back because I think it just it just diminishes doesn't it as time goes by it does oh my goodness I mean I'm just I'm just in awe as you shared your journey and I'm just going to share with the listeners before we came on this this was very spontaneous I mean this is like amazingly spontaneous that we did this uh we were having a bit of a chat and we said oh come on let's get on and get this show rolling so it's really really good to be able to have an insight into how your journey has brought about you now giving back you now empowering more people especially mothers and especially women it's just remarkable and I was just wondering, particularly when you mentioned about the kind of uh, loss of identity that people go through, are there particular things that you might say, oh, okay, based on this experience you've had, here are a few things you might want to do to help you get yourself back? I, I tend to work as a group, so I, I throw it out to a group. But if I was doing it one to one, I would start with something that could be along the lines of the Japanese ikigai, for instance, or just one of these, you know, swap, even a SWOT analysis, you know, what's my strengths? What's my weaknesses? What do I like? What don't I like? What brings me joy? What can I get paid for? You know, and we can get paid for so many things. People pay, people pay for people to walk their dogs. People pay for people to sing at funerals. People mm-hmm. pay to do some very dodgy things on the internet. <laughs> you know, whatever floats your boat, so long as it's legal. And you know, uh, but the um, but pretty much, if you've got something you enjoy that mm. people pay for somewhere along the line, why can't you get paid for it? But the trouble is, I could teach people that, 
But if they haven't got that inner self-confidence and self-belief, I, I could I give them every strategy in the world, successful strategies that all the successful people use, they're not going to be able to move with it and go forward with it because they're stuck with limiting beliefs, mm. lack of self-belief, lack of self-worth. I'm, you hear it so many times, I'm only a mum, I'm only a housewife, I can't do that. Why can't you? If if you know or have ever known or seen anybody doing what you want to do, then you know it's possible. And if it's possible for them, it's possible for you. And the only person usually, now put a caveat in here because some people are in not very healthy re- uh, relationships where there is control coming from a partner and they may not feel that they can do that and step outside and do it for very valid reasons. That's all the more reason why they need to do it, even if they have to do it, you know, covertly, because no one should have to live like that. But if you've seen it done by anybody anywhere in the world, that means it's possible. That means you can do it. You know, so it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you want to be an artist or if you want to create things. You might, I don't know who these people are, but you might be an, an, an whiz kid at Excel or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or organising. I'm not very organised. You know, but people are making money from these things. And if you enjoy it, um, and I help you, I go, go through like a system to help people find out what what they enjoy. Mm. Um, you know what they enjoy, what they love, what they because you may be fantastic at something, absolutely wonderful at something, mm. but you may really be doing it. <laughs> you know, don't choose that. <laughs> don't, don't choose that. You know, I mean, there may be parts of your job I'm sure that you don't. Oh no, I've got that day today. You know, and you just don't. Oh, but the other days that you enjoy so much make it worthy. But if you're really every day and you pick something that you're really good at mm-hmm. that you don't like. Don't do it because you'll just be miserable, you know. Um, yes. But as I say, it, it's more about helping you tap back in to your yeah. hopes and desires that you had when you were younger because you are still, although you've changed, you're still, the essence of you is still there, yeah. And I love to help women rediscover that. In fact, my, my, my signature program is called Rediscover You. And I use a system in it called. Would you like me to? I don't want to be selling, but I'd love to tell you what it stands for. Absolutely. You, yeah, is is well, what it says on the tin. We want to help you rediscover you, the you, the care for you, the you who used to love singing and dancing, the you who used to love going out with your friends without having to worry about the children being fed or put in the microwave or something, you know, you know yeah. being looked after, you know, and, 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 and in an equal relationship where actually it's, it's just as important for you to go out and have fun, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. we, I help you rediscover that. So that's the name of the programme. But what a teaching that is, what I, my system, which I call Promise. Mm. Now, Promise, the, every letter stands for something. Okay. So P stands for your power and purpose help mm. you refine your purpose in life and you have you have you read um have you heard of the book lost connections by whose name how well, i can't remember lost connections lost can't remember what his name is i can't remember no it sounds I like haven't. a south african name but he's he's english mm. oh anyway it's a fantastic okay. book and it's about why do people suffer with depression oh. and the core of it comes down to you know, even people on antidepressants are suffering with depression. <laughs> so the core <laughs> of it comes down to having purpose in life. You know, we when when we live in this conveyor belt, you know, treadmill world that we are living in now, where we go to work for someone else, they don't care about us. We are a resource. We are a human resource, but we're not humans. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they don't care about us. And they only you only hear from the bosses when something's gone wrong and never when something goes right. That kind of, when you get that, when you get someone treating you like that every single working day of your life, you you go down. So yes. find your purpose, find your passion, find your power. Mm-hmm. The R stands for relationships. So we look into relationships, and this is relationships with a partner, with your children. If if you most of my clients have children because that's who I want to work with. Um, with your your nearest and dearest, your parents, because obviously as you get older, your parents, if you're lucky, get older. Yeah. And you take on a different role. You take on a role, you you suddenly become their carers eventually. It creeps up to oh mum mum can't change the light bulb, I'm gonna do it for her. And then eventually it's oh mum can't get to the hospital, mum can't and, and it goes on like that. Yes. Um, so you that that relationship changes, but most of all, your relationship with yourself. Mm. You've got to love you. you well, I say you've got to love you. You've got to at least like you a bit. <laughs> you <know? laughs> think think about how you talk to yourself. Think about the things you say to yourself when you your clothes are a bit too tight, and you look you get out of the shower, and you look in the mirror, and you say, "Oh, it's disgusting. Why have I done this? Well, why have I done?" Mm. You're human, you know. Learn to. At least like yourself, and then we'll build up to love, you know. So we go with that. Uh, so P, uh, P, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> P, oh, 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 your options. So this is where we discuss those options, where I talk about what do you like, what can you do, what are you good at, what do people want, what are people asking you about, what are people saying about you, you know, what do people yeah. say you're so good at doing that, whether it's, I don't know, flushing hair or baking cakes or whatever, or like you say, that. that awful excel and admin <laughs> whatever it is so that sort of thing and what other options because not everybody actually wants to start a business but they you know an online business i personally think in this day and age everybody probably should have this additional income coming in um it's just the way the world is now you don't need a, a, a we're talking about five years of you know medical students don't need that anymore you can gen up some knowledge and then go and do it but do get some knowledge you know there's a lot of charlatans out there but if you've got some knowledge and some qualifications then go for it um so these are different options available i'll try to spell it p-r-o-m money 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 in the rich (laughs) man's world You know, I think there's been a lot, especially on the internet, it's come from women as well, a lot. Money mindset. Where Where is our money mindset? Do you know that even in this day and age, even younger people, couples in a heterosexual relationship, the woman still gives the power of the money to their male partner, even to them. And you could ask them, oh, how how much are we earning in the savings again? What interest rate are we earning on that? I don't know. The woman won't know. Well, have we got pensions done? How much are our pensions worth? Don't know. Don't know. Now, sometimes the man doesn't even know either. So let's not pretend that they know. But we kind of give them power over our money. And I think it's really important that we all have that fund. I say the fund that would allow you to leave and be independent if you had to. And that, I'm not saying you should ditch your husband or your partner of many years and run off. I'm just saying. Something may happen to them. You don't know what's going to happen. You need to be finan- enough financially astute enough to understand how much money you've got, how you can make your money work for you so that you're not – I mean, the bank is the worst place for money these days, although the interest rate's gone up a little bit. It's a bit better. But, you know, you don't want to – you need to understand your money beliefs. 
Because if you come from a place of, of real poverty, like I did, I came from a real place of real poverty um, and with no money and it was stretching to make ends meet and borrowing 50p for the meter, things like that. Mm-hmm. Have we got enough to, for, to eat today? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I never want to end up there. So you need to know how to how to manage what you've got coming in, what you've got coming out, and even taking even the tiniest bit, even if it's a pound a week and you put it in the, do with it the right way and you start compounding interest, you're going to earn money. But you've got to know, learn how. I'm not a financial expert, not in the slightest. I'm a bit bamboozled by it all, but I've learned the bits that I need not to, I shouldn't do. So, and, and then I'm learning about, even as we go, we're always learning because everything changes all the time learning about what you should do so that's where I'm coming from that um well I I forgot what I is I'll have to come back (laughs) s is self self belief self-worth self-confidence yeah everything to do with you and that is central absolutely central you my very first session I do with with my groups is about self finding out discovering your limiting beliefs because you don't know what they are necessarily until someone talks to you and helps you tease them out Mm. so what are your limiting beliefs um how are they not just limiting you but where do they show up elsewhere in your life who else is your limiting beliefs impacting on Mm. so i want because they don't people a lot of women they they don't do things because they want to do something for their children or think they shouldn't do something because of somebody or something else, but they don't realise that actually by not doing it, it has a bigger impact. That's so helping them understand that. And then I go for a really, really good hypnotic process, actually. It's a really good session with people to help them not just understand their limiting beliefs, but decide what they want instead of that. And then I use hypnosis in a group setting to help people get that and do it and find it and see it and feel it and experience it so they've got they realize they can do it yeah. um and then the last thing i can't I have to think about what i could be <laughs> okay i can't remember but the last e is energy and this isn't just energy it's health and well-being energy so looking after yourself because you are important to women are important we tend to run ourselves into the ground we are quite often getting up Sorting out the kids. You may have a partner there who might do something, but I can, in in the majority of relationships, the, the mum is doing the lion's share of the work. Uh-huh. You know, dad might go, get your shoes now, kids, but they don't actually get the shoes for them when the kids, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get the blooming shoes, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, and then, um, so there's, there's that kind of energy, but there's also... Oh, let's talk about it. energy in terms of vibration and mm. vibing high. And I am not, I am the least woo woo person like tree. When I say woo woo, spiritual tree hugging, I'm not that person. But I, I kind of understand it from a quantum physics point of view. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't understand quantum <laughs> physics, but that's more pragmatic. I understand, I understand. I don't know how that electricity gets into my plug and makes things work. I can't see it. I can't smell it. I know it works. And people tell me about these atoms moving up and down and blah, 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 and everything on the earth does that. So I understand that. So we we can learn to raise our vibration. And when we make a habit of doing that and expressing gratitude and all those things, um, then we 
raise our vibration and we feel better. We may not have done anything else. We may not have any more money. We may be working the same job. Hopefully we've still got the same children. <laughs> but we rate, we feel better about ourselves because we're seeing the world around us in a different light. We're seeing us in a different light. And for the life of me, I still cannot remember what my eye is. It will come back. <laughs> but basically, it's very, very holistic. So I don't just work with, you know, I'm going to help you build your confidence so that you can go and get a whatever it is you want. No, no, no. We're more than that. We don't work in isolated parts. We work as a whole. So unless you've got this right and this right, and this, well, or, or not right, but improved and in a better mm-hmm. mindset, yes. then we can go forward. Wow, wow. I absolutely (laughs) love this model. And by all means, I'll be able to put that in the show notes as well. So when I does come, if it doesn't come, (laughs) we'll put that in the show notes as well. And how, of course, you can reach out to um, Denise. So that's really, really good. And I was just wondering, I mean, you did hit the nail on the head when you talked about mindsets, because um, was it Henry Ford that said this? If you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And when you think about what you can do and you and you see people doing it, then you're like, oh, yeah, I think I can do that, too. Uh, and when you then perhaps don't see any examples around you, you kind of feel defeated that, oh, my goodness, I don't think I can do that. And those limiting beliefs that go on in our heads, they, they really need some working as well. And I'm just wondering, especially for the um, women who perhaps are listening to this and saying, okay, um, what's the journey like going into adoption or going into fostering? How, how did that go for you? Okay, well, I'm still a foster care. But before, before we move on, I stands for identity, rebuilding your and refining <laughs> your identity. Just couldn't remember what that was. So do you need me to re- say them again? I will. So what's the journey as to go into adoption and fostering? I start with fostering because that's probably more common. Um, but it, it, it's common because as a, as a job, it is a job. It's a vocation, let me tell you. It's along with, I'd say, social work and possibly nursing these days mm. is the most rewarding, the hardest job you'll ever do. Should turn those around. The hardest job and most rewarding it's the hardest job you ever do because you choose to foster because you want to help a child have a better life and as I mentioned earlier when I was born in the 60s these children who were given up for put into care was because they were unmarried mothers their family would not have anything to do with them if they had a baby there was no social security to speak of to help those women who did want to bring up their own child. And it was shameful to be an unmarried mother. So most of them, there were some who were married and parents, but they had so little, they still had to give up their children. So they went into care, and that would be traumatic for a baby because, as we know, all these emotions are crossing the placenta and the child is born with a lot of the the parents' emotions they've experienced those emotions it's in their blood so and and they get um when the parent gets raised cortisol so the child gets raised cortisol as well yeah things like that so these things are in the child's blood these days a child is rarely given up for adoption or fostering in the same way they are taken into care because they're being abused either physically sexually emotionally 
or they are their parents can't look after them because they are drinking drug addicts or they've got mental health issues and they just cannot keep the child safe. So these children come from a background of trauma. They may have been subject to drinking drugs in the womb. They are born in trauma and then they're snatched away from the only thing they've known for the past nine months and put into care. And that's another trauma. People initially go into, into fostering saying, I want to foster because I want to help a child who really needs this help. And they don't realise, and that, that it's almost like you think that you're rescuing a child from some awful place. They don't want to be rescued, especially if they're not taken into care until a later age. Quite often children don't come into care at least till five or eight when they're in school and then the teachers pick up that there's something not right with this child and then social workers get involved. Um, and I'm not vilifying social workers. They are so overworked. They cannot, they, it is impossible for them to ever complete their caseload. They cannot do it. There's not enough hours in the day, so I'm not having a go at them at all. Um, unfortunately, once they are in care, they then become part of a big system. And the system is about, it's meant to prevent further harm and to help nurture and care for these children. But unfortunately, because it's done from a risk-aware, sorry, a risk-averse rather than risk-aware viewpoint, oh. they end up often damaging the children more. Yeah. <laughs> because they, yeah, they're not, you know, and it's a tick box exercise. They've got, they've got to have these things ticked on by this date, and they have to do this home visit by this date, and so they rush around doing all their home visits and filling in the forms, but they're not actually caring for the children. This is a social worker. The, the carers are there doing fantastic jobs, yeah. but the the supervising social workers. I have my own supervising social worker. Every foster carer does, um, are not able to properly it's not they can't support the social workers sorry the foster carers they do they do as best they can but their priority is on the, on the statutory tick box exercises and forms they have to fill in which is a shame if you really are dedicated to wanting to look after another child it is hard work they are not happy to be rescued you've taken them away from trauma sure but they understand that trauma they know that if mum or dad comes home in the, or is it like in that mood, they know what's going to happen next. At least they can manage that because they know it's happening. You take them out of this place that they know, but with people they don't know, those poor kids are sitting there for about a year, two years, waiting to see when we're going to hurt them. They're literally waiting to see, you know, every time they, like there's two. Either they're so scared that if they sort of so much as spill a drop of milk or something, they're like this, they're frightened they're going to be really hurt. Or they go the other way and go, well, you're going to hurt me anyway, so I might as well just trash this place. <laughs> <laughs> they don't all trash the place, but they're going to be, I know, throwing the glass of milk. And they're like, give me a glass of milk. What, you know, what'd you give me that for? Should you give me a glass that doesn't spill? You know, and, and, you know, and you've got these things going on and it can be in the same child and they're just petrified. All they want is love and stability. Unfortunately, we've been able to do that. Um, the process to foster is at least six months um, of assessments, and they they don't just go into every detail of your life. They go into as much detail as you can possibly manage about all your siblings and your parents, and if they're like grandparents, whatever. They want to know where you come from. 
Most importantly, they are not looking for perfect parents. In fact, if you found perfect parents, they probably wouldn't approve them. They want people with life experience, people who have had hardships. So like I said to you, I ended up in care work twice when I was younger. They want to know people who have struggled with poverty. They want to know people who have struggled with, um, I don't know, mental health issues even. So if they've all parents. So they want people who have got the resilience to do this. And it is the most rewarding, rewarding um, thing ever. Because for all of the bureaucratic downside and the meetings and form filling and everything, you've got a child who month by month, it, it takes a long while, but they become more and more settled, more and more happy, and then they start feeling safe in your company. Now, be aware, because when they feel safe, that's when they can let some of those behaviours out because they know you're not going to hurt them. But they only do it a little while and then they'll they'll come to you for reassurance. So it's not like I'm going to trash a house or whatever you like they might do when they first come. It's, oh, I'm sorry, I did, I got so angry and they'll come for reassurance. Now, when it goes to fostering, obviously, not fostering, adoption, most people adopt very small children. Mm. I became <laughs> I became a new mum <laughs> to a 16-year-old age 59. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, it would have been 52, but as I say, the, the local authority took seven years and we actually had to get the uh the commissioner for england and Wales, children commissioner for england and wales involved in the end because the local authority were quite inept um but yeah but the process is the same the process is the same in terms of you have to go through that i said even though we were foster carers and they have we give daily laws they know everything about us and we have regular you know we have to be reviewed annually we have regular six weekly supervision everything so they know me intimately almost <laughs> and my husband and everything. and they still you have to go through the the process again for adoption and it's much more in depth um it, it will take longer and they're asking you questions about and and if you've never been a parent you can't even possibly begin to answer these questions but questions about how do you think you'll cope emotionally if this happens and well, I don't know I've never been there you try and work it out and think about it. And you should have had, they do do some sort of adoption um, training, some lessons to talk about some of the things children with attachment disorder, which is uh, a mental health condition they develop if they've not had their needs, primary needs met as very small children. And most of the children coming into care these days have that. Um, it looks like autism. <laughs> their symptoms look like autism. Unfortunately, they don't get the help that autistic children get if they get a diagnosis um, because one is neurological and one is developmental, so they don't get that. Um, however, um, you know, when you are, they, they try, the training does introduce you to some of these things. And if you want to be a parent, great, go for it, go for it. it they have adoption support funds for post-adoption because even if a child has been taken as birth, at birth, they have still spent nine months in their mother's womb. They have experienced and heard and listened to the arguments. They've maybe experienced drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so they're not sweet, stable little babies. As They might appear that at birth, but as they grow, they, they start developing um, behaviours that are quite dif- difficult to to deal with if you think that you've rescued a child from a bad place yeah um but at the end of it 
if you can just switch a switch in your brain and instead of going, why are they doing this to me? We wanted to just love each other. What would make, what on earth would ever make a child behave in that way? And then what you're doing, you're separating the child from the behavior and then you can, you can achieve anything. You can achieve anything with them. So yeah, we've got, um, my daughter, I can say her name because she's my daughter now. She's Katie. She's coming up for 21 in March. And then I've got my little foster son, whose name I can't say, because um, he's in care. And uh, he's 11, maybe 12 next month. So That is beautiful. <laughs> that is so beautiful. I love the fact that you're able to say, if something happens, the child maybe performs a behavior that is not the right way, you I, you kind of take the child away from the behavior and you can do anything. I think that's a very important tip that many mothers should take from this, really. And, and so I'm very curious, perhaps, and maybe other listeners are, what would you say is the most challenging um, thing you have been through as a birth mom, an adopted mom, and a foster mom? <laughs> oh. oh, gosh. As a birth mum, it's when, you know, very, you're picking out the questions here now. My husband and I were struggling. My husband was, we owned a pub and my husband was drinking too much. <laughs> and, and we were really struggling. And I was in the uh, unfortunate position. I couldn't go to the council and bit me home because we owned our home. Didn't have enough money to, <laughs> if you need to leave, what I was talking about. I didn't have enough money to go and leave and start again and, and take my children with me. But what I did have was a camper van, a VW, and I still got that camper van. And I still got the husband, by the way. We're coming. We're 40, <laughs> yesterday was like 41 years since we met. <laughs> so, wow. Happy <laughs> anniversary. That's amazing. So what I did, a friend of mine had a parcel of land in Spain that she lived on. They were going to build a house. They were living in a mobile home now. And she said, I, I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I just said, I've, I've got to get away. I cannot subject the kids to this any longer and I can't put up there any longer and I had no and this one person said come and stay on my land I drove to Spain with my kids at the camper van and we worked it out from Spain like my husband and I you know you're a lovely man I love you very much but I cannot live with you like this um you know you need to show come come back to show me that you're that responsible adult because actually you're behaving like a young child now and it was understandable he He'd lost both his parents in quite a quick succession, and he actually, we went to visit Dad. We was left to go and see him for Sunday lunch, and actually we found him dead in his chair. So it was very traumatic for my husband. He couldn't cope. You know, he'd lost his mum, who was his real bedrock, and then he went and found his dad dead. So he suffered this trauma, but instead of processing it or trying to, he just, we, we had a drink. We, we had a pal. He could drink, you know, and he did. But he got through it, and we got through it, and we got through it together. So that was the most difficult that we got through it with me in Spain. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Going down to the phone box in the village, the upper mountain, uh, in him in England. And we did, you know, and then with with Katie, I think the most challenging with her was because as she approached her teenage years, she started understanding the extent of of what had happened to her. And to be absolutely honest, she doesn't still know the extent fully now. All she's got are the feelings. Mm. She's got some memory. Mm -hmm. When things are so bad like that, um, you you 
you have to shut everything out. So she's, if you must have know the book, The Body Keeps the Score. You know oh, yes. Book? I love that book. It's... Um, what's his name? Like a bell, bell begins with B. Anyway, yeah. bell something. <laughs> anyway, he, you know, she, her body was telling her. She was amnesic of the details of what happened. She's been subject to the most horrific abuse as a very young child. Her mum, her mum, even to this day, we're in contact. Her mum, birth mum, loves her. Her mum didn't have the capacity to care for her and keep her safe. So she was aware and she could feel these things in her body. And you just could see her just self. She'd come up when she was eight. And by 15 years old, so seven years later, she'd grown and grown stable and she was doing as well as she could. She had an awful lot of mental health issues and anxiety, attachment disorder, PTSD, um, et cetera. And, and then she started to implode a little bit, you know, and go inwards because she couldn't bear the feeling. She, every time she got a memory, the feeling came with it and it was so, so painful because they'd been hidden away. And as I said to you, she has actually developed um, dissociative identity disorder, which is what people used to call multiple personality disorder. And it's something you, I think 99.9% of the time, you only develop if you've been repeatedly abused at a young age. So we know she's gone through something quite horrific. She doesn't know the details. It's locked away. She doesn't necessarily want to know those details, but she can feel it. So that was really, really hard. Yeah. yeah. A little man now. <laughs> With the fostering. He's, um, he's a charmer. He's lovely. He really is. But, oh, my God, he's got ADHD, so that's hard. <laughs> and PTSD and attachment disorder. Um, so he can be quite a struggle. And he's got some learning difficulties as well. And I think at the moment, the most... The, the, it was horrific to see and there was nothing we could do he needs to be in a special school and the local authority were trying to find a special school for him I don't think they tried very hard um, and basically I think it was March last year all his, his classmates knew what school they were going to and he didn't and he didn't know which school he was going to until the first week of the summer holidays and they still haven't got him into a special school so they've popped him in a mainstream school the poor boy is really, really struggling. He's trying his best to hold it together at school because he doesn't want to appear different to his friends. Um, but he is different um, mentally, cognitively, developmentally, is different. And just to watch him struggle like that, and when, when he gets home, he's going, you know, really good. So we spend a lot of time at the moment. Helping calm him, nurturing. We, you know, even though he's nearly twelve, we know we might want to sit on my lap and be rocked like a baby. Because if you haven't had that, if you haven't gone through that developmental process at that right age, you've got to go through that to be able to come up to the next stage of development. So through all his little life, he's been in care since he was four, but he's not had that nurture. So as I didn't say, I'm I'm actually my husband and I are actually therapeutic foster parents. So we don't we don't just have you know here's a child who needs to have look after them we take in the children have been through that care system when you hear carers go oh i've had 100 children i've had 20 children whatever it is they come they as soon as they get challenging they move them on move them on and move them on mm. or sometimes it's just not the right dynamics in the family it's not always that um 
but we make once they come to us and in the first few weeks and months we kind of assess can we live with you can you live with us can we make a difference in your life are we safe with you? <laughs> you know, are we safe with you? And are you safe with us? <laughs> Not yes. that we're ever going to hurt them, but they put themselves in un- risky and unsafe things. So um, when they come to us, they've been through that system. They've had they've had their first initial traumas at home that they were experiencing. And they've had the trauma being taken away, and then they've been taken away and away and away and away and away. Mm-hmm. And our little lad came to us at eight, and we were his eighth carers. And he went into care when he was four, so he's essentially a if you even it out to a year, but it, it yeah. wasn't like that. One care actually lasted nearly two years. Mm. Um, but yeah, so this poor child has, has, uh, has really struggled. So there's part mm. of him going, when are they going to get rid of me? When are they going to get rid of me? When are they, you know, so we're, we're actually in the process of, of applying for a special guardianship order. So he will be out of the care system and we'll be his illegal guardians. That is. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh my goodness. My goodness. I mean, my, I'm totally blown away. <laughs> really. I really am blown away. I mean, we, we have really unpacked quite a few things in this discussion. Yeah. I'm so, so thankful, Denise, for this opportunity to learn from your experience, from the journey and for being so vulnerable with us, because this is what we do on the show, because we need to talk about the, the real things of motherhood, because we go through these mm. things. And of course, you did share your gems with us. I love that promise. And um, I'm going to yeah. put the, the breakdown in the chat in the yeah. This show notes so we talked about purpose and passion relationships the options money mindset identity identity self belief and energy oh my word seriously if you are just hearing this part of it go back download this episode have a listen again and um i think really this is so packed with so much goodness. So I would like to ask Denise, if there's one thing you want our listeners perhaps to take forward from listening to you today, what's one thing you want to either tell them or remind them about that they should bear in mind? You have overcome 100% of every challenge you've ever been given because you're still here today. And you have the ability and Inside you, you are still capable of achieving anything you want, but you have to believe that you're good enough to do that. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> I love that. I totally, <laughs> totally love that. And I'm sure there are so many people that would want to know how best they could um, connect with you, um, would love to kind of get some details. Where would you like people to look for you? Um, the best place, the most active on, on Facebook. Um, and it is just Denise Searle, and I think it says The Life Fixer. And I didn't choose that. It sounds really showing off or something. I didn't choose that. I, when I started my business page, so now I've got a, what they call a professional personal page, which I prefer. Mm-hmm. But when I started my business page, I wanted to put my business in. My business is Life Fix. So it's lifefix.co.uk. And they said, you can't have Life Fix. Someone's got that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they made suggestions and they said The Life Fixer. That I do. <laughs> I love so that. It's a life fixer. It's a life fixer. So you'll see Denise sell the life fixer and I've got all my makeup on and my hair is done nice because we didn't <laughs> expect it. 
I told you we were being spontaneous today. I mean, we were like, you I, know, why don't we just do this? Yo, why not? Yeah, come on. I love it. Just do it. Go for it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Denise. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really, Thank you, Dr. Danny. A great time chatting with yeah. you. All Lovely right. Talking to you. And as I say, always, here. if you want me to impart any knowledge to your students, let me know. Because I will do. I will do. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in today. This is Dr. Denny. I'm the mom empowerment coach. I'm a family doctor, international speaker, best-selling author of the book, Every Mom is a Supermom, and your host on the Wellbeing for Mothers show. If you've loved today, please connect with us. Download this episode, subscribe, and share with other mothers because we need to continue to promote this good knowledge of health, well-being of mind, body, soul, and spirit. Until next time, I ask that you stay well.